Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Multifamily Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wolber, and first of all, I just want to say thank you for listening. This is episode 70, which feels like a really big deal. I've spent a lot of time and energy over the last two years building this show, and I'm genuinely proud of what it's become and excited about the future, so thank you. Today, I was really lucky to sit down with Eric Clark. He is an absolute multifamily legend. Over the last 15 years, you've surely seen him on some of the biggest stages at our biggest conferences speaking. He's done tremendous work on the operator, developer, and technology side of the industry, and he currently just exited BMC after a remarkable run, so he's actually thinking about what's next in his career. It was really fun to think through all of the things that matter right now in the industry, staffing, retention, centralization, trends, technology selection, technology implementation. This was a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy. And if you ever have any feedback, let me know. I'd love a LinkedIn DM, text, or email. And thanks again for listening. Enjoy this conversation with Eric Clark. Eric Clark, welcome to Modern Multifamily. Thanks for having me. I would love to start with just a little bit of who you are. You're you're probably someone that does, doesn't require a much of an introduction with as long as you've been in the space, but for folks listening, um, you know, your background, your story and how you found the chair that you're in today is always interesting. So I would love to start there, Eric. Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been in the multifamily space for what feels like forever, um, but close to 14 years now. It was, you know, an accidental find, um, you know, when I got out of college and started my professional career, multifamily wasn't an uh, industry that I was very familiar with. Um, but I did have an interest in in real estate itself and started more on the single family side and um, through relationships and, and friends learned about multifamily and found it fascinating because it's such uh, a complex and multifaceted space. You know, for me, it's been interesting to have an opportunity to work with small and large um, owners and operators. I started my career with a smaller boutique merchant builder out of South Florida. We did a lot of class A product um, and moving on from that to groups like Graystar that had all these different institutional processes and practices and such a large third party portfolio. And, and that brought with it a, a vast amount of complexity and, and learning opportunity, right? So that was that was an interesting transition. And it opened my eyes to even more aspects than just the marketing piece. Um, so I've, I've had the good fortune to dabble in business development, um, operations, um, you know, strategic development, and really kind of touched, I, I would say, almost every every aspect of the space. So um, it's been a great journey. You know, I, I can't complain. And and I think it's um, <clears throat> a space that oftentimes gets overlooked when, when people are thinking about a career path. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're, we're definitely still in like the formative phase of 2023, thinking about, you know, plans and trends and, and innovations and having such a, a wide perspective of experience, Eric, kind of across the whole industry. I'd love to hear if there's anything that's been like mm-hmm majorly top of mind for you in terms of topics, buzzwords, or trends that are that are kind of going to turn into things that are here to stay. So looking forward, what are some of those kind of bigger items that you think are going to, going to drive the fastest change, the best innovation? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's 
it's a, a space that's ripe for disruption um, just because multifamily in and of itself has lagged on the innovation and tech side for quite some time. You look at um, adjacent industries like hospitality and what they've been doing um, for a long time. Uh, you'll look at some of the big players like Hilton, where you could log into an app, virtually check into your hotel room, get a digital key. You have to have no interaction with people, right? And they've been doing that for quite some time. Multifamily was kind of forced to adopt something in a virtual space during COVID, right? It had been a very loose buzzword, kind of pie in the sky vision before that. And then everybody pivoted with COVID. And since then, I think it's continued to evolve and we're going to see additional evolutions of that that are going to make it um, even more intuitive, more seamless uh, as we go forward. And I think that there's going to be opportunity for greater integration with marketing efforts, operation efforts, um, and ultimately staffing. You know, those are those are some of the things that we're seeing um, make a big shift in the space. It's it's interesting when you look at the success rate of self-guided touring and, and virtual leasing. And the the thought originally was that <clears throat> conversions would suffer and, and leasing velocity would be less than a traditional in-person environment. And we've seen that that's not really the case, right? The numbers are very much on par. And in some cases, certain markets, they've exceeded an in-person environment. And I say all of that because where we've seen staffing challenges, whether it's because of limited talent or, you know, salary expectations having increased so much, um, that constraint can be alleviated when you go into this self-guided model. Um, so it's it's giving people what they want, right? It's relieving some of that operational burden and operational cost from staffing challenges that we're experiencing. And it's not hurting your, your performance at all. Um, and on the contrary, you're able to, in certain environments, um, really amplify the amount of tours that you can Perform, right? Because you're not taking that additional time of, of having the, the human interaction. So I think that's going to be a really big thing that we continue to see. <clears throat> Challenges that are going to come with that, right? It's it's an expense, a technology expense, and an infrastructure expense that companies are going to have to budget for differently. Um, that's one of the things that I've seen on some of the new development, right? It's it's this trending buzz that we've wanted to implement on properties, but you're looking at properties that had historic <clears throat> underwriting that was done two years ago and, and that six-figure expense to implement the right lock system and the right technology wasn't there. So then you've got that aha moment of, okay, we need to really recraft how we're planning for some of this going forward so that you've got the right tools in place. Um, you know, and, and I think with that, another piece that you're going to see is, you know, how are you vetting and ensuring that you've got the right people coming into the property and that you're not letting a prospect base in that's going to bring with it a criminal background or some other challenges, right? And so, you know, for me, having had some of the credit and tech background that I've had working with groups like TransUnion, um, we really saw where that was becoming a, a critical concern that, again, companies weren't thinking about, right? And so that put fraud on management companies and owners radar in a completely different way. 
And so I think you're going to continue to see where there's a bigger emphasis on that screening piece and, and really doing your due diligence. Um, and again, technology is going to continue to evolve that where it's going to be less burdensome, more seamless. And, and ultimately, all of the things that we need to do are just going to continue to efficiently improve. So I think those are going to be some of the things um, operational streamlining. You know, that's not really going to be technology so much as it is just a, a future trend. Um, some of that is just you've got to start making these numbers work in a different way, right? Acquisitions are becoming harder. Development deals are becoming harder. Um, staffing is becoming harder. So what can you do to centralize job functions? You know, whether it's because you're outsourcing it to a third party provider that is excelling in a space that wasn't there before with renewal automation and, and some of those other resource alleviations, or are you creating centralized teams within your own organization to handle some of those functions that would have historically fallen on your assistant manager and your property manager, where they're being asked to be a jack of all trades, right? Because your assistant manager is also your collections person and your bookkeeper and all of that, where if you can centralize accounting or centralize collections, you're you're alleviating some of that and you're allowing the, the in-person staff that you do have to become more customer centric. Um, so I think you're just going to continue to see this efficiency optimization across organizations. So within that like efficiency point, last week at NMHC, I, I probably had about 40 sit down meetings in the two and a half days I was there and everyone brought up centralization. <laughs> I was busy and uh, the team did a really great job and Everyone brought up centralization, Eric. And if there's one kind of consistency I found, it was it was that there was a radical concern on people protection on site, making sure that teams weren't overwhelmed. They were, you know, creating better swim lanes and structure for the right people doing the right thing. But in the same breath, there was no standard definition of centralization. Some were thinking about it as, as just centralizing collections or just your inbound phone calls or, hey, full cycle renewals. Let's just have a pot of people getting those out 90 days in advance and driving You know, a, a 5% increase, we'd be happy. Is that consistent in your world? You've been on the whole side of the operator. It doesn't feel like there's one version of the truth here, but everyone seems to be talking about it. I think I think you're 100% right. It is so new and it's, it's still evolving that it's going to be a while until there is some level of standardization and how we look at it. And, and there never will be a one size fits all. Right. And, and I think if you liken it to other things that have happened over the years in the space, going back um, to the early marketing days with lead management, right. At what point do companies look at the lead and start measuring performance? Is it at first touch? Is it at last touch? How are you attributing a marketing source? Right. And for years, there was discussion at all of these conferences about how you measure that, how you quantify that, you know, and, and even still today, there's companies that do it in a, a myriad of ways. So I think we're going to see that with any, any new trend, any type of disruption that happens. Um, we've definitely had those conversations internally. And how do we want to try to standardize and, and be able to do it in a way that also puts us somewhat in line with our comps so that that we know if if we're really embracing best practice or, or we're just floating off on our own island. Um, I, I think sometimes that's really a helpful tool, um, especially as you're you're starting to chart a little bit of a new of a new path, right? Um, I think one of the other things that you're going to start to see, and again, everybody has a different 
description of it is centralized leasing. And, you know, that's where some of this more autonomous and virtual touring is going to be important. But can you create pods where you've got one group that is touring three or four assets? Can you run more of a centralized maintenance process? So, again, you're able to cross-functionally train people, better develop them, um, and in some cases continue to prevent uh, some of the burnout that we've seen over the last few years. So, no, to, to in short answer your question, I, I think we're going to continue to see um, a scattershot approach for a while. So one of the things that I find interesting about you is you've had pretty like significant experience on both sides of our industry. You've you've played the operator, you've played the marketer, you've also played the technology, you know, provider or supplier. And I'm curious, Eric, if that's like a, a perspective that you've you know, bottled up and used as an advantage. I'm curious if there are any benefits you found at being at some of the highest levels and some of the biggest orgs to bring in perspective. I mean, hearing you talk about your perspective of, you know, credit and fraud, surely TransUnion helped open your eyes at least to a degree there, I'd assume, but your word's not mine. I'd love to hear what that's done for you in your 14 years. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really, you summed it up, right? It's given me this, this very broad perspective. Um, which has been incredibly valuable when, if, if you are looking at investor conversations and being able to help share a certain level of education, if you will, with groups that have historically looked at just one part, right? And, and understanding why maybe a black and white number on a piece of paper is just not that right number. And, and there's so many other pieces to it that you need to take into consideration to, to truly make a deal, not just work initially, but work long term and, and maximize the value that you're going to get on the exit. Um, so so it's been really helpful to have some of those conversations um, with groups externally, but internally, it's really helped give me an opportunity to walk in our team's shoes in a different way um, <clears throat> so that when we are looking at big operational changes and, and that change management process that's inevitable as a company evolves, you know, looking at it and doing it in a way that's thoughtful and helping to relieve the friction as much as possible with our onsite teams, right? Because if, if your first line at any organization isn't functioning at the highest possible level, if they're experiencing burnout, if they're you know, treading in this very unknown, scary space, if they don't know how they're being measured and, and what performance metrics are expected of them, then whatever process you want to implement, whatever change you want to see, it's going to fall apart. So <clears throat> having had that opportunity to, to touch on all of those different areas really has allowed me to take that more thoughtful approach and and be able to, I think, roll things out in a way that, that we've had a really great level of adoption with a lot of those organizations and, and really created more brand champions and, and culture advocates um, than, than we might have had if, if it was somebody that had just been in one swim lane for a really long time. I couldn't agree more. One last question in that same thread. Um, I'm curious if that's impacted your ability to drive focus when it comes to technology vetting and selection. In my experience over these past couple of years, it seems like folks in the director VP or CXO seat are finally learning how to buy software in multifamily. Um, but certain people do it well and certain people still talk to their friends and struggle to get it off the ground. And I'm curious what kind of perspective you've been able to shape over the years on how you vet, select, and ultimately get it off the ground and make it successful. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I I think you know I've, I've managed to do a, a pretty good job of it. There's probably always room for for improvement, but having spent some time on the supplier side on a on a tech heavy environment, right, with with the TransUnion products, um, having that SaaS experience has been really helpful. Understanding you know, what your supplier partner's constraints might be, um, seeing integrations from a different perspective, understanding the things that as an operator you are asking or expecting, um, but really understanding on the opposite side of that, what might be involved behind the scenes to make that work. Um, it's also helped shape some of the questions and some of the betting that you go through when you're you're forming those RFPs um, and picking providers that while it might be really sleek and flashy, um, are they going to have the long-term sustainability, right? Looking at what's their financial viability, what's their funding, digging in a little bit to understand, you know, really when it's an integration, how deep of an integration is it? What are all the impact factors, whether it's our teams on site and any added complexity or burden to their day, what's the end user experience gonna be? Um, kind of really looking at it from some of those peripherals um, helps, I think, ensure that you're picking a path that you're not going to have to change course on in 12 months or, or 24 months, right? When um, when some of these new flashy um, opportunities might might fizzle or might get acquired, and, and you know those are things that could always happen. But um, yeah, having having seen it from multiple sides has has definitely helped proceed with caution um, and really make sure that we're not losing sight of the key objective that we set out to solve, right? Sometimes I, I think that becomes easy. You start out with this very specific thing that you want to find a solution for. And you go through this process of talking to other folks in the space and going to these conferences and seeing all of these providers that are that are trying to expand and bolt on all of these other pieces. And, and then before you know it, you're completely clouded and you're like, oh, well, there's there's 50 things that they could do. And, and really, you may never have actually solved for the one thing you set out to solve for. You you just got a whole lot of extra stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really given me a little bit of, of a deeper perspective and that helped me understand why it's so important to, to pick somebody that's going to to really solve on on multiple fronts. I love I love that. Yeah, I hear you in a big way. Um I'd love to shift gears just a little bit. You recently announced that you left left DMC and you helped them prepare for their next chapter. And it sounds like you got a lot done in your two years that were you were there standardizing some infrastructure, really building out an attractive technology platform. And I'd love to hear if there are any learnings um, from BMC as you start to think about what's next. Yeah, um, that it was a great experience because we really took a, a company that had been around for a while has excelled amazingly in the development space. You know, had a really deep level of experience. Um, transforming a whole sub market, really. Um, so here in the Colorado market, Cherry Creek. There's there's barely a building that that we haven't been able to to impact. Um, so it was really really transformative in that way. Um, and we've had a multifamily management arm for you know about a decade. Um, but you know being able to go through this transformational process with them of, of taking 
some more traditional practices and, and limited use of technology, largely driven by the portfolio type that we had, right? So I, I should take a, a step back. It was uh, predominantly a workforce product type. So, you know, budgets are different, needs are different, um, infrastructures are different, vintage product, a lot of limitations. Um, but being able to go through and, and look at it from a future forward view and say, okay, uh, where does this company need to go to hit its goals? Right. And so if it's just a growth goal and, and we want to hit 5x in size or um, AUM, then what are the needs that we're going to have and, and start to reverse engineer it a little bit. Right. So so being able to to be in an organization that was in that space, that was new for me um, because historically I'd been with much larger groups that already had a lot of those practices in place. So being able to come in and, and help identify those needs and, and implement those solutions and you know really help drive that change that that ultimately really put us um, several steps in the direction that we needed to go uh, to become a much more institutional grade um, best in class management firm. Awesome. And as you you look back oh. on kind of where you've been and maybe think through where you want to go next, have you have you put pen to paper yet on thinking what the ideal next land is going to look like for, for oh Eric. I've been known to help um, a few people connect the dots and I don't charge a recruiting fee. Um, <laughs> and I'd love to hear if there's anything interesting for you as you look at the landscape, both on the client uh, side and the technology side. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's a tough one. I have loved every aspect of what I have done. And like I said, at the onset of our, of our chat, right. It's such a multifaceted complex space that, you know, it's sometimes hard to say, hey, business development is the is the thing, right? So in in an ideal world, you know, having the ability to just impact the the growth and the direction of an organization is is the one thing that I have definitely enjoyed the most. And doing that through the use of innovation and technology has has definitely been a big passion just because that's that's where I see us as a as an organization say as, a, as an industry really moving is is depending so much more on that level of innovation and so i think organizations that are able to understand that path and really have a group that's dedicated to charting that course um, and impacting how it rolls out and how it touches every member of that organization and every end user um, that's the area that I find myself most passionately drawn to is, is being able to really help strategically drive that um, and, and craft those initiatives. And, you know, that's going to impact marketing. That's going to impact training. That's going to impact investor relations and, and selling the vision of, of some of those big costs or some of those changes that, you know, groups may not be used to. Um, and, and so that that's the part that that fuels me the most is, is driving that innovation. I love it. Well, hey, do you have any questions for me as you think through kind of wrapping up the conversation? I'd love to kind of give you the host chair. And if there's anything top of mind that I can answer, I, I love to be put on the spot. So I'll pause. Yeah. I, I would say I'll flip one of your questions, right? What are you seeing as the biggest need uh, or source of disruption in the space? And I think being on that tech supplier side um, would be a really interesting interesting perspective. I think one of the things that I've seen a lot, heard a lot, and cared a lot about over the past couple of years, Eric, has been the moment of value. And I think for me, that's when I'm working with a customer 
or a prospective customer on the sales side and like really defining like what what hole it is that we're going to solve as a technology partner and then defining that inflection point together in the sales process and then charging towards that moment of value. I believe deeply in customers becoming raving fans, but I also believe that um, not everyone needs new technology. And so I really found a lot of opportunity to become more of a consultant for our prospective customers and helping them understand if they're maximizing what they're doing today and thinking through not just this year, but you know where they want to be in two to three years, which you've talked a lot about today, because technology can either be a vehicle or speed and innovation, or it can be a crutch that gets dusty and doesn't actually solve your problems. So I think for me, probably more on like the soft skill side, I'm just seeing a lot of opportunity to bring intention to the conversation and to make sure that, you know, technologies are truly partners and aligning towards your long-term plans. And I think that mutual moment of value should not be the same for all of your customers. And so to me, lots of fun happening right now and slowing down the sales process so that we can speed up, you know, what, what it looks like to get to value together. Um, maybe not the answer you're looking for, but that's definitely what's been most top of mind and what I'm most excited about looking forward. Oh, that's awesome. No, and I, I agree. You know, I, I think, and that was something we briefly touched on, right? It's it's so easy to get outed by all the flashy stuff and sometimes believe that you need so much of it that you lose sight of, of the solve that you initially set out for. Um, but I, I like the fact that you you touched on sometimes your current technology isn't the wrong thing. It's just maybe have you fully leveraged it, right? And and I think a lot of times that's that's a gap that organizations have. And, and I've seen it firsthand where you know you've got folks internally that that become this jack of all trades and and they're expected to be the implementation expert and you know the marketing person and you know, the customer service person. And when that happens, you know, inevitably you can't leverage everything and you end up hopping and skipping, trying to find the thing that's going to solve the gap where sometimes it is, it's, it's more the people part and, and making sure that you've got the best people in the best seats so that you can maximize whatever that best technology or, or best process is going to be. Right. So I think sometimes making sure that you're looking inward um, as well as outward to what's happening in this space is so so critical and sometimes overlooked. So no, I, I think that was that was really helpful and maybe even a little bit of a different um, perspective than than I might have expected from from somebody that's very much in that tech space, right? To to bring that soft skill piece. So that was awesome. Yeah, in any way you want to shape it, product adoption is one of the biggest challenges in our industry. We have lots of generalists, very few specialists, and one of the most common things I uncover when I talk to people deeper than the surface level is you haven't even scratched the surface with your current provider. So yeah. why don't you go to the well and then come back if it's still not solving your problems? Because of course, I'd love to show you how we can help. But too often, you know, we just didn't take the time to like intentionally design what I call the moment of value. And I think if you get there with your current partner, phenomenal. Uh, and that just earns trust for us. And if you're not able to get there, we'd love to see if we can be a, be a help. So it's cool hearing you say that. I think we're saying the same thing. And I definitely think product adoption will be something that that on the operator side, there will be more and more um, investment into just to make sure that we're maximizing what we're already doing before we look to solve it with another investment that could also become a distraction. 
I love that. And uh, I'm going to steal that moment of value um, phrase. I, I really like that. That resonated really well. So um, that's going to be my takeaway. I'm, I'm taking that with me. <laughs> well, I'll take it. Well, hey, Eric, I'd love to roll out the red carpet for you. Folks that want to get in touch with Eric, um, you're easy to find on LinkedIn. Any parting words before we wrap up today? No, just um, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And um, you know, hope to continue talking through all the fun things that are happening in this space. Awesome. Well, I'll be excited to see you on the circuit this year. And thank you a ton for joining me today. Absolutely. See you soon.